My name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland podcast. I have fellow food allergy community member and uh, entrepreneur, Gail Rigioni. Did I do it right? You did. You did. It was fine. All right. Perfect. Gail, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk to you. I feel like we have so much in common, and uh, I'm really excited to hear all of the things. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and appreciate the invitation to to join you. I mean, when I looked at, into your background and the work you've been doing, it was saying, "Whoa, so many, so many intersections and and right crossovers." So yeah, I mean, so many overlaps, and I, I think I think the work that you're doing is so great. So we'll we'll get into um, the app. So Gail is the CEO and founder of Allergy Force, the app and the website, and we'll get into those in a second. But I want to hear how kind of the journey along the way, right? How did you find yourself in the world of food allergies? We're in the late 90s here in the, in the timeline, right? Yeah, we're definitely in the late 90s. I like to think of it as the dark ages of food allergy <laughs> because when my son was born, there there wasn't much out there for food allergies. There was It was a pretty, pretty lonely journey at the time. And um, it took us about a year to figure out his allergies. Um, I was a new mom. He was my oldest, my first. And um, he kept throwing up and it was like, what's going on here? You know, the, and this kid has a very sensitive stomach, you know, food, you know, food, food and, and like viruses all the time and what's going on. And so I wasn't able to connect the dots until he had back-to-back episodes within a week after eating Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And when you look at the ingredients on Haagen-Dazs, there were basically three ingredients. There was milk, there was sugar, there was eggs. And so I knew he was good on milk. He drank a lot of milk. And so it was that aha moment. Ah, it's got to be eggs. So I got an appointment with an allergist. And um, <clears throat> while we were there, I said, by the way, his cousin, his little cousin, who's about the same age, has a whole lot of food allergies. Could you at least test him for peanut? And so the allergist tested him for peanut. He'd never obviously eaten it because he was too young. And that was the protocol for the day. And uh, he tested him for tree nuts. And we came back with, with just a whole list of suspected allergies and a couple of prescriptions for epinephrine when we walked out of the, the office. I love the way you put that, by the way. I, I oftentimes go on a soapbox on this particular topic testing. I like that you said we came back with a whole list of suspected allergies. The, the precision there is is much appreciated. I think that's great. Although, you know, stinky to get those results, right? I test positive for 35 foods, so I totally understand how that moment feels, although not as a mother. Uh, you must have been super overwhelmed. How did that affect you? It was hugely overwhelmed because when you get that diagnosis or you have those concerns, it changes life forever for everything. Um, so it looked like forever at that point in time. But, um, you know, nothing, nothing is simple anymore. You know, the casual restaurant outing isn't simple anymore. The uh, holiday gathering around the Thanksgiving table isn't simple anymore. The playdates aren't simple anymore. So all of the things that were ahead of us as a little family suddenly became a whole lot more complicated. And um, I made a lot of mistakes uh, on the journey. I mean, the internet wasn't widely um, evolved at that point in time. There were no Facebook groups. Uh, there were fairs. Predecessor was fan. So I eventually found fan, but you know, it was just very limited. So I relied on my sister-in-law a lot because she was ahead of me on the curve in terms of managing food allergies. And uh, 
know, it was, it was a learning journey, but it was a very lonely one at that time. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I, I mean, putting myself back into the late nineties, I mean, we were like telnetting by a DOS and email, right? Like it's an entirely different world uh, than where we find ourselves today. Certainly research on Google was not a thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, wasn't. Yeah, that must have been super challenging. I mean, how did, how did you navigate that? And how did you keep your anxiety levels on a manageable place? I think um, with regards to the anxiety levels, I, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes more information is not necessarily better. So I was a yeah. little bit in a bubble and I relied on information I got from fan and from my pediatrician and from the allergists uh, to try to steer clear of foods um, but I know I made mistakes along the way. I, I cringe sometimes when I reflect back at some of the things I did and the risks that we took. And um, I do believe my son has a guardian angel, truly. So, but we did, and I made. I had accidents. Oh, have a little piece of this salmon. We're at this lovely restaurant. And, oh, I, we found out later it had peanut sauce on it. So he was sick that night. And, and just things like that. So a lot of um, trial and error, a lot of missteps. Um, we really just uh, took all the allergens off, off the table. They were not in our house. Um, so we kept it simple that way. Um, started early and, and uh, diligently reading every ingredient level, label, reading it several times, um, you know, rereading it when we repurchased the product again. So, um, you know, it was... We made our way, but it was a bit lonely. And um, yeah. to the preschool, I'm fast forwarding a few years there. We were educating the preschools at this point in time. We actually um, put them in a preschool in California at the time. Uh, we live in Connecticut. And California didn't have as many incidences of food allergy for whatever reason at that period as they did on the East Coast. So it, it was really an education process. That's really interesting as a as a data point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They just were unaware, and in, in the pri- you know, it was a private preschool, so fairly unaware of it, and um, it affected everything at the preschool level. I mean, play dates, of course, but even crafts, um, snacks, interactions with the other little children, birthday party invitations. It was the list kind of went on and on, and well, I always felt a little bit like I was flying by the seat of my pants. Um, but you know, again, got. So as your son got older, particularly in that time frame, how did you kind of transition from everything always under your control to not just preschool, but when he starts to um, advocate for himself? And you know, how do you make him feel empowered to have the conversations and get him from the point where you're kind of doing that work for him to the Point where you feel comfortable with him doing it himself that's a big that's a really big question and it, it really is. we got all the time yeah the no it's just a big it's a big <laughs> question because it's it, the answer is that it takes time and that it's really gradual and it's years and years and years of role modeling and practicing and teaching and trial and error making some mistakes and trying to learn from those mistakes it's not, you know, we're going to have the lesson today about food labels. It's really trying to show him what a food label looks like. And then, you know, as reading skills evolve, trying to help him recognize the words that are related to his allergies. 
Mm-hmm. And there's so many. Mm-hmm. And he had quite the long list. He had, you know, if you counted Trina's discreetly, he had about 13, 14 allergies when he was little. And uh, over time, I mean, it is good news. He's he, through puberty and, and getting older, he has outgrown most of them. He still has five. That's great. He still has five, two of them anaphylactic, but still he got rid of most of them. But the empowerment process was really a journey. It, it isn't, uh, you know, like turning on and off a, a light switch. It's, you know, telling, helping them pick out the, the um, words on the labels and, and helping teach, trying to teach them what foods they had to avoid because it would have their allergens, you know, um, trying to um, show them what foods were safe go-to foods. And so it's iterative, it's um, teaching, but it's also role modeling. I mean, countless um, times when you're um, instructing the, the, we called it sort of the the allergy litany at the restaurant. So, you know, this looks like it might work for our child. He has X, Y, and Z allergies. You know, how do you, how do you make this food? Does it come into contact with other things? You know, does it, are other things put in the fryolator that could have egg in them? Um, you know, so hearing that hundreds of times over the years, that that was the education process and gradually encouraged him to take ownership and to speak up. And I would say by, you know, we should have started that a little bit earlier. We were slow to hand off and push for him to, to for him to self-advocate. I would have uh, pushed that sooner sooner and faster than we did it. I have two little boys. I don't, if they were food allergic, I don't know that I would trust them with it, you know, and one of them is, is pretty stinking mature, but they don't have kind of a focus that it requires for every single time, you know? Yeah. And it becomes a script almost that you follow. Mm-hmm. You know, he listened in on calls when we called restaurants to try and, and vet them. Or when we called hotels to see if, you know, the hotel restaurant or something could could handle his, his food allergy profile. So the listening and the absorbing gradually, but, you know, it is a, it is a repetitive process. And it takes those yeah. lessons to, to take and to take root, take root deeply. So in this conversation, you've mentioned lonely a couple of times. And I know in some of your writing, you've talked about the importance of both you and your son having kind of a peer, a food allergy peer group, right? How do you accomplish that? How do you let him not feel alone or, or make it so that he doesn't feel alone? Okay, I, I think that's a really important point. And I think that it's really important to know that as a parent, as any parent, you don't always get it right. And you hopefully learn from what you got wrong or you can share what you got wrong to help other people not make the same mistakes. So this is really in the spirit of sharing things that we didn't do as well as perhaps we could have and to spare people pain in the future. But um, I had the chance to attend a a fair summit, a teen teen summit a couple of years back. Attended as a parent and um, attended by myself and it was eye-opening. What a wonderful opportunity for teens to connect and to really find other kids just like them who have the same worries and concerns. And you're calling him on the first day. You got to get down here. (laughs) (laughs) But by that time, he's in college. So the the cow is in the barn. And so if you can start 
getting them involved in organizations like FACT. FACT has great team resources as well and, and retreats and fair and get them into an environment where there are a lot of other, other kids, other teens, tweens that are grappling with the same stuff. That is huge. I saw the power of it firsthand. Um, we didn't do that. And so it was a bit of a lonely journey. There, were, there was the odd child here and there um, in his classes at school that had food allergies. And so we were friends with them and you know they were very kind. They totally understood where we were coming from and, and vice versa. So you did find your, your people um, little by little. And you know those little friends, the, the parents and the mom friends grew out of that. And I do think that there was a great comfort in our journey because his cousin, who was just a few months older, had almost exactly the same profile of food allergies. Oh, wow. That's cool. Almost exactly. And it, minus the egg. My son was gifted with an egg allergy. And um, so in that journey, he had his buddy who also, you know, like when we went gathered for the holidays, like each family was equally conscious of allergies and workarounds and, and how to make it a safe meal or prepare safe desserts, right, for, um, for the kids. And so our holiday meals were allergen free. Um, and the, the larger family yeah. was very supportive. So it was kind of a unique situation for us. But I think I've also, definitely heard from other people, you know, I always ask at the beginning of these conversations, is there anything you want to stay away from? And quite a few times that exact topic comes up. I want to stay away from talking about family because it's been such a hot topic, right? That, you know, it causes kind of tension in the family. And so it's really mm -hmm. nice to hear that you don't have that situation, but I also wanted to, to mention it so that other people who do have that situation know that they're not alone, right? I, lots of people have to navigate that. And, and mm -hmm. I think it's great that you've been able to be so successful and have that kind of um, camaraderie between your son and his cousin. Yeah. And I guess your son and your nephew. Yeah, my son and my <laughs> nephew. I, I would say, though, I also have family um, on the other side of the country, and we don't see them quite as often. And they don't really understand food allergies quite as well. They don't yeah. eat it every day. And so that um, when we go out for visits, that has been a little bit harder of a journey. It's a lot of education, re-education, and um, it is, it's a little bit harder because they yeah. put their elbows in it every day. So with all of this as the background, right? You're, you're making your way through food allergy world, if you will. Um, what led you to kind of flip the switch and, and create Allergy Force? Um, well, it was the journey, the long, the long journey. And it was also the fact that as a family, we love to travel. And we've always taken great care traveling. We travel um, overseas. We, we tend to um, actually go on ski trips uh, a fair bit overseas. And um, navigating those journeys was always a little bit, was, you know, complicated. You have to be at the right hotel, a lot of education of the, the chefs at the, at the hotels, a lot of explanation, often in a language that wasn't our first language. So we relied a lot on hotel staff or to help us with translations. Or if we had a lead time, uh, for example, my son went on a class trip uh, with his Latin class uh, that was chaperoned by teachers. Um, and so we had translations created for him that would help him navigate um, some restaurants 
and outings in Italy. So, um, you know, we would find translations. I mean, now there's just a whole host of amazing translation tools. You know, software, mm -hmm. there's wonderful chef cards that are available from all sorts of different providers. So, and there's apps for it. So that's, that's wonderful. I mean, the resources are there for the taking. You decide, you know, you have the option to decide what's most comfortable for you. But we were on one of these trips and we happened to be um, headed out for a, for a meal. And we had rummaged in the backpack for our Italian translation of, of his allergies. And uh, we got pulled out of the backpack and it was mangled. It was just, <laughs> it had gotten a lot of use on, on the trip. And uh, we just kind of looked at each other, <laughs> hoping it would make it through the meal. You know, we could hand it off. But we just looked at, and we had that aha that there has got to be a better way to manage this. And so that was really the seed of thought that started going and it just snowballed and that was back in 2016. So we'd been on the journey for quite some time. And we started thinking of all the pain points of the journey, like what's been hard, you know, you know, another hard pain point of the journey is you go to that next allergist appointment and maybe you only see your allergist once every six months or once a year, or once every couple of years when you get older and you're supposed to remember all the food allergy reactions you had over this very extended period of time. What did you eat? What happened? What was your reaction? How did you treat it? And so that again was a pain point because we were always scrambling to try to remember everything that happened, you know, for the 12 months preceding the visit. And so it was just really um, identifying pain points and really committed to finding a better way of handling it. That was um, something that wasn't external to you. And the phone is something you always travel with. So that's why we thought, we thought an app would make sense. Yeah, I think it's great. And I love the, the features and functionality that are in there. So, so tell everybody who doesn't have it yet, you know, all the stuff that it does, because the list is pretty extensive. It's pretty uh, sophisticated. Yeah. One, one of the things that we think is very special about the app is that it's a multifunctional app. There are a lot of out there, but sometimes they tend to be one off or, you know, it might do one or two things. And what we wanted to do was create that allergy mom you could put in your pocket. So that was the point of departure for us was how do we get the or the allergy mom who is rabid about a person's well-being and, and safety into their pocket. And so the phone, phone made sense. And um, with the app, um, it's got a whole suite or a whole group of everyday features because there's a lot of challenges just navigating life freely and in a, in a more spontaneous way. And it has the whole suite of emergency features that you need to have right at hand right away, but maybe not every day. Uh, but, but it's that comfort or that peace of mind that you want to have. You, you'll be supported if you have an allergic reaction. So when you think about the, when you think about the app, um, let's talk a little bit about the everyday features first. One of the things that is hard is um, for allergy features or for, for allergies is um, your epinephrine's uh, always expiring. <laughs> it seems like, you know, if you're lucky if you get 12 months. So we wanted to quickly, from the homepage, give people access to uh, tracking their epinephrine and antihistamines so that they could get reminders when it was going to expire. So two months before it's going to expire, you get that little friendly email. If you turn that on or you get an, um, um, an inbox message 
um, that your your epinephrine is expiring, you know, time to renew, time to renew. So it kind of takes um, some of that load off your shoulders to keep track of that. Um, another everyday feature is going out to a restaurant. So um, being able to explain your allergies clearly, what are they, being able to handle or address the cross-contact issue simply but effectively. And so um, that was probably the first feature that we developed given our Italian trip experience. And so we have created a, a digital chef card that you can send by email or text before you go uh, in 21 languages, or you can print it out if you'd rather have the, the comfort of a, or both. a paper, or you could do both, or you could text it to yourself so you could show it to them on your phone. So it's a very flexible tool. The other thing I love about it is that um, you can change up your allergy profile depending on the restaurant or the situation. Um, for example, some people have oral allergy syndrome and that's mm -hmm. where they have trigger foods. It's, it's really triggered by environmental allergies or, like to molds and to cross-reactivity. Cross so you may not be allergic to cantaloupe, for example, but your mouth might get itchy when you eat cantaloupe. People choose mm -hmm. to put their OAS trigger foods in their allergy profile because they don't eat them mm -hmm. because it's too too scary and confusing with their their really their their food their allergens. Sometimes it's hard to tell is this just a a trigger food reaction or am I having a real reaction? So it yeah settling. And so I've always said it doesn't really matter whether like how how severe the reactions have been in the past or if it's an intolerance or an allergy or OAS mm -hmm. or anaphylaxis. It doesn't make you feel good. Let's avoid it. Yeah, right? exactly. But whatever the case may be. But some people's lists may be so long and daunting. They don't want to show the entire OAS list to a restaurant chef. The restaurant yeah. could easily say, oh, it's too complicated. We can't help you or we can't serve you. So you can kind of modify or curate your allergy profile, depending on the situation you find yourself in. You know, if you were um, going to... Um, uh, a restaurant and you knew that it was specialized in a specific food that you know wasn't going to have any of your triggers well you might remove those and just have your allergens on the list that you shared with the chef so it gives you a lot of on-the-fly flexibility very cool yeah another everyday thing and you experience the same thing is that um that you have grocery shop right you have to go and you read every label and so we've devised a, a barcode scanner. It um, mm -hmm. has over a million products um, in the databases. Um, it's also, um, we have proprietary lists of hidden allergens because so many uh, allergens hide under hidden or, or, hidden or confusing names. And so the barcode yep. scan, you know, checks the databases, the hidden allergen names, uh, to deliver results. And what's nice about it is it's not intended to okay foods. That's an important um, nuance there. It's intended to help you quickly rule out foods that absolutely, they, they just won't work. So that you spend more time on labels with potential to, to work for you. So when you use the barcode scanner, it'll give you the red stop, no go, and allergen was found, or you might get a yellow warning that says read the label. Technology at the end caution. of the day, yeah, and technology is a help, it's an assist, but it can't replace human judgment. 
Like it's um, the um, the precautionary labeling isn't part in the databases or buried in the barcode. You really, at a certain point, have to make a judgment call as to what you're comfortable with. If it's processed on the same line, if it's may contain something like that. But um, it's really um, it frees you up to spend more time on foods that might work for you than wasting time on everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. How's the journey been starting the company, building the app, getting it out there? You spent a lot of time and, you know, what I would categorize as management consulting, like mm-hmm. working with all sorts of different companies with lots of great experience. How's that switch been for you? It's been amazing. It's, it's just the freedom to decide. I, um, you know, after years and years in, in a big corporate environment and, and um, I did work in digital marketing for, for a stint for like a five-year period in various business development roles. I think like each career stop has really equipped me to run a company, you know, to problem solve, to collaborate. So I feel like I've spent my whole life preparing to do what I'm doing right now. And it's a really fulfilling feeling, I have to say. So for me one of the things that's been a little tricky and I'm curious what you think is are, are kind of the things that you don't really realize have to happen. It's all the like little filings of this and filing of that. And it, you know, the stuff that kind of goes under the covers at the big companies, there's somebody who takes care of that. And no matter how many of the different horizontals or verticals you visit, you never really have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Do you find that part to be it's, an interesting challenge? <laughs> I think interesting <laughs> is well put. It is very, uh, yes, it is very interesting. It, but I guess if you kind of look at it the other way, it's kind of adding to that knowledge base. Like it really, like it, it kind of expands you as a professional, as a person. Um, I know more about website design than I ever thought I would know. And I'm. I went the other way. Now I know more about <laughs> HR than I ever thought I would know. You know, like it's kind of an underlying thing. You know, we're all like kind of the legalities of privacy policies and terms right. and. All those things, I mean, there's so many layers and different filings and so many layers, but um, I have to say that each one, there's something to learn and take away from it. And yeah, there's the stuff that's less fun to work on and stuff that's more fun to work on. And it seems like the less fun are the things that have to get done. Yeah. Like the more fun are kind of the nice to have. Yeah. What, What things in this, whether in this category or in the building the app or building the website or whatever, what things would you do differently if you had to go back and start again? That's my nice way of asking what kind of mistakes would you go back and correct? Cause Lord knows we all make them. Um, I wish we'd identified the opportunity sooner. Like we identified it in 2016. Um, so had that flash of inspiration. We're at the app stores with a minimum viable product by 2017 um, then road tested, took on board a lot of, of customer feedback and reconfigured, you know, upgraded, added new features, reconfigured others for a relaunch this, this year. And so I just feel like I, boy, I would have loved to have started the journey maybe a couple years earlier, just, you know, sooner, sooner. Um, so I think that was one takeaway for me and, you know, I think, I don't know, I tend to be a very positive person. And so even when things are hard, like, you know, working through the development process and QAing and re-QAing and, you know, you know, fumigating for bugs everywhere before we can actually physically release the app at the app stores, 
even though it's kind of arduous, um, it was so, I, I guess, you know, I would have loved to have had a QA team in place. We, you know, and we didn't, you know, we, we had, uh, we QA, we had our developer QA and we did it again and did it again hundreds of times that and to mm -hmm. be able to deliver a sound product. So, you know, I would love to have a, a bigger team if I could do it, because it would allow us to, to move more quickly. Um, but, you know, having a small team is, is just fine. So. Yeah, no, I hear you on the, on the QA team, the regression testing gets old, doesn't it? <laughs> we go through the same thing. Um, no, all right, does. so I always like to ask you yeah, right. advice so stuff. Huh? No, you, you test till you're, you're blue in the face, but you know, you have your customer's well-being at heart and at stake. So, if you got to test again, you test again. That's right. So. Can't release without it. So on advice, um, you know, we talked a lot about kind of empowerment and peers and, you know, how, how that early time went. What advice would you have for food allergy parents as their kid gets into that kind of college and adult age where they're really, um, what's the word I'm looking for, grown up and out of, out of under your umbrella of protection? Um, I, well... I think it's really important for kids with food allergies to have some independent journeys by themselves where they're away from parental supervision. So if you can find a sleepaway camp or they can go to a language immersion program or they can go on that class trip somewhere or on a mission trip and do it safely. I mean, there's a lot of assumption that you as a parent will the way and you know, do your due diligence and do everything in your power to, to make it safe with the supervisors of the trip or the, the experience. But giving them an opportunity to do that and to travel solo and have it be a success is so important because that opens up the door to future successes. I mean, even if they're For sure. at the epi themselves and use epinephrine, that in itself is a scary you know, God willing, it all works out and they do the right steps and they get the medical care they need. And that's, um, but having had that experience is life-changing because then your kids understand, oh, it's not so awful to stick yourself with the epinephrine and gee, I shouldn't hesitate or be scared or, you know, it's, it's um, a good thing to go to the hospital, you know, just so that you're in medical care quickly. And so there's so many learnings from even a mishap um, and that they can, and the, the pride and the knowledge that they can handle it safely will kind of fuel them for future freedom and future exploration. And so those are things that you should be thinking about. Um, middle school, like they're pretty portable. They go where you go pretty much through middle school, but then into high school, it's they, their friend group expands. They might be friends with older kids. You know, eventually there's a driver's license in their future, things like that. So you really want to have had them have some, some independence a little bit, you know, measure, in a measured way before they get to high school where- um, Practice without the safety net. Without the safety Before net. the safety net is gone. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and hand off, hand off those explanations sooner rather than later. Don't wait till like a month before they go to college. You know, they should be going through the allergy discussion at restaurants or vetting a restaurant before they go. And they should be starting that in, in like middle school, you know, as soon as 
At least in parallel. Yeah, in yeah. parallel. I think that's great. They can listen to you on the phone or you can be there when they call the restaurant to try to talk through their allergies and, you know, start doing that. Hand- well, and useful life skills for so many things outside of allergy, right? I mean, kids should be doing this stuff, not yes. necessarily for food allergies anyway. And I think that we kind of don't do that early enough in yes. general. So tell everybody where they can find your website and your app and all the things and yes. you. Oh, okay. Well, um, my email, if you did want to reach out, is gail at allergyforce.com. It's G-A-Y-L-E at allergyforce. Our website's www.allergyforce.com. Come to the website. It tells you all about the features. If you're not so interested in learning about the features, there's a whole slew of content from wonderful um, authors who are sharing their journeys. And you can learn a lot from listening to other people's stories. And um, if you wanted to get the app or interested, it's at the App Store uh, for Android and for iOS. Uh, a good chunk of the app is free access. You don't have to pay anything for the Chef card or for um, the epinephrine tracking or for most of the emergency features, like a, we have a 911 call. And then the other half, half once you're comfortable and, and you've um, gotten comfortable with the app, it is a paid and it's like $1.99 a month. So it's not priced at a level to break the bank. So um, perfect options. Great. And then I like to close all these episodes out with my favorite little torture game of two truths and a lie. So Gail, you're going to give us three facts about yourself, one of which is, you know, not so factual. And we're not going to tell which one's not true. So Dear listener, if uh, you would like to know which fact is not a fact, come talk to us in the comments on social media or on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll be happy to let you know if you are correct. Gail, two truths and a lie. All right. So um, I had a chance to visit the Great Barrier Reef in Australia in my 20s, and I was so inspired by that visit that I vowed I would would get my um, PADI certification, which I did at age 55. Um, My certification dive was amazing. We went to the Florida Keys and the water was just crystal clear. It was such a joy. And um, I did pass, which was great. And in my certification uh, dive, class, there were uh, five Navy SEAL candidates. So those are my three. Cool. Did they all pass? Everyone passed. One story, three facts. We don't know. No one's ever done that before. Tied all of them together. <laughs> Very tricky. And I like the way your brain works. Gail, thank you so much for being here. This was an awesome conversation. We don't oftentimes get to talk about the, the food allergy mom journey kind of from start to not finish, but you know, adulthood and that you have turned it into such a force. <laughs> See what I did there? Force for good is, uh, is, is such an inspiration. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Listeners, as always, this has been the Shandyland podcast. Thank you so much for sticking around and we will talk to you soon.